All right, guys, so uh, here's what we're going to do. Listen, um, i got about 20 minutes, and we're going to run through this, and you guys will have some discussion in a moment. And so we are in the middle, actually the, still the beginning of a Jonah series, and this spring is going to feel like start, stop, start, stop with Jonah because, um, as you saw at the beginning of the month of January, Brandon Brewer uh, kicked off our spring semester um, by giving his life story, and then he did a prequel to the book of Jonah. And then um, we introduced Jonah that one week, and then last week, uh, Kaylee Harris did a great job, by the way, give her a hand, for um, sharing her life story with us last week. And uh, so we'll do like one life story per month, and we're doing these life stories about once a month um, to give these people a chance that aren't normally here in the summertime to do what we did last summer. And we're really hoping that you start to just see Jesus through someone else's, the eyes of someone else's story. And it's invigorating to your faith is, is, the, is the hope behind that, and that you would also see um, your own need for Christ if you haven't yet given your life to him. Uh, we're now back to Jonah today. So I want to recap Jonah. So Jonah is a prophet of Israel, and some think that prophet means they just tell the future, but that's part of it. But most of the time, prophets of Israel would um, simply just tell the truth. They would speak to the nation or other nations and just tell them the truth about what God is going to do and call them to repent. Now, we talked about this two weeks ago. Some called Jonah the worst prophet ever. That really could be the title, the subtitle of the book, like the worst prophet ever. Because the reason is because God commands him to go to preach to who? Remember? The Ninevites. And what does he do instead? He doesn't even. There's, there's two ways to disobey. There's to like sit and do nothing. Then there's like, I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you told me to do. And that's what Jonah does. So he doesn't just sit and say, no, I'm not going. He actually does every physical thing he does is the exact, he gets on a boat, he goes somewhere else. And so this would be like, I mean, modern day equivalent, if your mom was like, clean your room and then you like destroy your room. Like you just start throwing lamps and stuff and you're just, I don't know why I said the lamp thing, but that's what I envisioned. But it's like the exact opposite of what you're being asked to do. This is what Jonah does. And so Jonah goes in the opposite direction. He buys a one-way ticket to Tarshish. Try saying that with a lisp. That's really hard to say. And something that might be as far away as Spain. Like he's probably hasn't even heard of a place called Spain. Didn't even exist yet. And he's going to Tarshish, some faraway place. Faraway place. He does this because he absolutely hates the Ninevites. And he hates them because the Jews knew what these people were about. We talked about how ruthless and cruel they were They were two weeks ago. This would be like a Jew being asked to preach to Nazis at the height of World War II. They'd be fearful to do that on several levels. One would be just for their, own, for their lives, fear, fearful for their life. But secondly, they would also fear repentance. They wouldn't want them to repent and receive forgiveness and grace and mercy from God. And this is what Jonah fears. He actually fears that they're going to repent. He fears they're going to do what God's asking him to preach about, which is repent. So Jonah can't imagine why God would want the, the Ninevites to hear truth and repent. I mean, how can God show mercy to a people like the Ninevites, considering how cruel and ruthless they are as a people? So we talked about how, for Jonah, God is not how Jonah imagines him to be. We talked about how, for Jonah, there's this conflict between the God of his imagination, how he imagines God to be, and then the real God that's asking him to go and preach repentance to the Ninevites. And so we talked about how this relates to us. 
and how um, we ask you the question in week one, when has the God of your imagination come into conflict with the real God? And how you resolve that tension in your life is going to chart the course of your life. If you don't know how to chart that and navigate that, how does, how does the God of, the, of your own imagination, how does it come into conflict with the real God? If you can't resolve that conflict, it's going to mean that your life goes in a, a tragic and destructive course at some point in your life. We've talked about how the theme of this book, as far as Jonah's life goes, he, he's really like an obedient rebel. He starts out being disobedient in a real physical way, but then he ends up obeying God physically later on, but still rebelling all the while in his heart. He goes to Nineveh just kicking and screaming and still not wanting to go. And I'll give away the ending just real quick. The end of the book is a big cliffhanger. We don't really know how it works out in Jonah's heart, right? And we'll get to that later on in the series. But when we think of rebellion as it relates to us, there is a drive in many of us, especially at various stages of life, and I think it's magnified more probably at the stage of life that you're in, but there is a drive towards rebellion. When you have someone telling you what to do, there's something in you that says, I, don't want, I want to do the exact opposite of what you're saying that I should do. And so whenever you and I picture rebellion, we picture certain things. Certain things come into your mind when you think of rebellion. Certain physical, tangible things. But there's also another way to rebel. Because we can be obedient on the outside, but still rebel inside of our hearts. And that's what Jonah did. And that's what you and I do. I think the temptation for many of us that grow up in the church is we can do the things on the outside and obey externally, but all the while we're just we just have this kind of anger and rage growing towards God for certain reasons that even we can't explain. And then usually at some point in your life it just kind of explodes. And so we we hung on this quote in week one, religion without heart change is a recipe for rebellion. And that many of us sometimes, especially at the age that you're at, can be on that trajectory. And it might not happen until later, but it can you need to understand the seeds are planted right here and right now for this kind of thing. So I'm hoping the Jonah story is going to help us examine our own hearts. Um, can we be people that are rebellious in our hearts in the way that he was? In week one, we covered just two and a half verses, and, we, and today we're going to cover just one and a half. It's a pretty short, but I want to cover just the first four together with you. So look at Jonah chapter one, verses one to four. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them. There we go. To go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, two times in this passage, it says, that Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Because if you understand theology, you would know that God is present everywhere all the time. We call it omnipresent. So when Jonah runs, he, he knows he can't really run from God's presence. No one really can. There's a guy named Sinclair Ferguson who says it this way. He was not fleeing from his omnipresence, meaning God being everywhere. He was fleeing from his felt presence, from the God who had made himself known in grace and power, he was fleeing from the sphere of evangelism to which God was calling him. This is what I think you and I do whenever we run from God. You and I know we can't escape 
God's omnipresence, but we still run. And the way we do that, I think, is running from his felt presence, things like community, things like the church, running from his word. We don't typically just long to go spend time in his word while we're simultaneously walking off into lifestyles of sin. We don't do that typically because there's a felt presence that comes with spending time in his word and time with his people. And so Jonah is, is, knows he can't run from God in the real sense, but he's going to run away from God's presence as much as he can, God's felt presence. And that's just what he does. If someone asks you, if you're someone that's in this position where you, you feel like, you know, you, you identify with the idea of running from the felt presence of God. If someone asks you if you still believe God exists, you'd probably say, yeah, of course I believe God exists. You might even say, that's why I'm running, because I believe that God exists. But if someone said, do you believe he exists? You might say, yeah, I believe he exists. But if they, if they said, do you believe you can run from him? You might say, no. Then what is it? Why do we live our lives this way? You see, we can know something in our minds, but reject that idea in our heart. So you might have the idea intellectually that you can't run from God, but still in everyday practicality, you decide, I'm pulling out of a community, I'm pulling out of the church, I'm pulling out of reading God's word, pulling out of prayer, because that's where his felt presence is. And I think we've all experienced that. We want nothing to do with his felt presence because we know it brings conviction, and we don't want that in our lives. Notice in verse 3, it says, he paid the fare. So he pays the cost to get on this boat. Now, I don't think I'm reading too much into the narrative here when I say this, but running from God is always going to cost you something. And here it is in a real literal sense. He's paying the fare, but running from God always will cost you something. And I'm sure that you can think of many ways that's happened in your life and lives of the people that you know. We talk about the cost of discipleship frequently here at this church, but there's also another side of the coin. David Platt says it like this. The cost of discipleship is great, but the cost of non-discipleship is even greater. Running from God is always going to cost you something. For Jonah, it was a bit of money. For us, it's much more than that. You and I can pay in shame and guilt and condemnation. We pay in broken relationships. We suffer the cost by becoming isolated, alone, and lacking joy. There's all kinds of ways in which you and I pay the cost of run away, running away from God. The currency might be a little bit different, but the suffering is still great. And there's still a great cost. What happens whenever we flee the presence of God? Well, God shows up in ways that we don't like and don't expect. So how does he show up in this story? Look at verse 4 again. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. This is just still the introduction part of the story, so I don't want you to miss these little things that I think are so significant. When Jonah runs from God, how does God decide to show up? God shows up in a storm. And the word hurled here is an interesting word because remember the story of King Saul and David? And King Saul's jealous of David, and David's in the palace of him playing the harp occasionally, and Saul gets jealous. He'd have these fits of rage against David, and it says he would hurl spears at him trying to kill him. It's the same exact word. So Saul's trying to kill David. Now, God's not trying to kill Jonah. 
But God, in a sense, picks up a storm and he hurls it at Jonah. And he wants Jonah to repent. This is why he does this. He wants Jonah to turn and repent. Before he can send Jonah to the Ninevites preaching repentance, Jonah himself has to repent. So he's, he's trying to get Jonah to recognize um, he's on the wrong pathway. So I want to show you a couple of different things in this little story. There are storms that are attached to sin. You're going to see this play out. One writer says it this way, the bad news is every act of disobedience to God has a storm attached to it. Now, we don't mean that every difficulty you encounter is a result of sin. It'd be wrong for me to look at you and look at difficulty in your life and say, well, you know, this is happening to you because of this particular sin that you did. Like, I, I'm not God. I can't make those connections. So I want to be clear. I'm not saying that everything you run into the difficult is a result, a direct result of some particular sin. But the Bible does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. The Bible does teach that at, at some point there's going to be a storm as a result of sins that we struggle with. You and I cannot treat our bodies any way that we want and stay healthy. We can't treat the body of Christ any way that we want and maintain healthy relationships, friendship. It's going to break down eventually. Most of us think of of God punishing sin, and sometimes God does punish sin directly. I think of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5, where it says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. So sometimes God hurls a storm at us, and it's directed at us. It's directly from him, and it's quick, and it's sudden, like it is here with Jonah. But sometimes it's not as obvious. Sometimes it looks like someone's getting away with evil. I think of Proverbs chapter 21, verse 7, where it says, The violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. Sometimes God punishes sin, but sometimes sin punishes sin. If we're a violent person, if we're, there's a good chance violence will be done to us. The liar gets lied to. The thief gets stolen from. If we live by the sword, we're probably, we might die by the sword. There's a built-in judgment sometimes. There's a storm that's sent sometimes. I think of uh, a girl that we had here in this ministry. This is like a long time ago. You have no idea who this person is. But this girl that was a part of my junior high ministry when I was a junior high pastor here, and she came some in high school. And I saw her a few years ago. It was in the Temple Mall because I went there that one day, that one time, that year. And uh, I was walking through the little food court area that they have there, kind of. And um, I see this girl sitting there with her friend, and I hadn't seen her in years, so I talked to her for a few minutes. And uh, and I knew she was with this guy. I didn't know anything about him. And they had a, a baby together. I knew that. And so I'm just checking in on her. And about a year later, I read in the paper that he had gotten murdered. And this is a horrific story, and I'm just going, oh, my gosh. I, and she's being, you know, mentioned in the article and stuff. And it's just really, really sad. And they come to find out, I find out later on that um, they'd both gotten caught up in a drug situation. And, and he got murdered as a result of a, 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 bad, a deal gone bad. 
And so you see, it's like if you enter into a certain kind of world, there's a chance it's going to bite you. There's a chance it's going to come back and, and cause destruction uh, in your life in some capacity. And so usually violence isn't random. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. If we choose to enter in a certain kind of a world, there's a good chance that world's going to hurt us, hurt us back. And there's going to be a storm that's partly by our own doing. So for Jonah, the storm was immediate and it was dramatic. And that might not be how it looks for you or for me. Sometimes a storm is a slow burn. And some of you might be in the middle of that right now. And you're experiencing it in, in some way. In the Jonah story, it says the storm was so great that the ship threatened to break apart. You see, God has a way of putting just enough pressure to create a breaking point. And for some of you, you're walking through things right now, and God has sent a storm, and it feels like he's trying to break things up in your life. But I will tell you, um, he's trying to break down your will. I think he's trying to break down your will and get you to surrender. That's his ultimate goal. He's got a way of creating just the right amount of pressure. And how you respond to it is going to be critical. And so sometimes storms are because of our own sin. But sometimes they're just because we live in a fallen world. And we can't identify what it's attached to. So storms attach to sinners. Because we live in a fallen world. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So how you and I see the storm is a critical thing. As you're going to see later in Jonah's story, Jonah ended up viewing the storm properly. You'll see that in a couple weeks. But even though he's running from God, he sees the storm in proper light. That God's trying to get him to repent. He sees it in the proper light. He knew why it was there. So you and I have to see the storm as for our good. And the good in this passage, Romans 8.28, is not referring to comfort or ease, but conformity to Christ and being pruned so that you and I can bear fruit for his glory and his kingdom. So in one sense, I mean, storms shouldn't surprise us because we see them all throughout scriptures, right? We've seen it in Life of Abraham, this series in the main service. God wanted to grow his faith, so he puts him through all these trials and what seems like unfulfilled promises. We see it in the life of Joseph and later on Moses. You see storm after storm after storm, and God's making these people into the men that he wants them to be. Tim Keller writes, The Bible does not say every difficulty is the result of our sin, but it does teach that for Christians, every difficulty can help reduce the power of sin over our hearts. I think for you and I, storms have a way of waking us up. They help us develop faith. They help us develop love, hope, and humility. There have been many people that have found faith in Christ because some great storm drove them to God. Many years ago, my wife and I went on a mission trip to Rwanda. If you know the history of Rwanda, they had a great, horrible genocide of almost a million people got killed in that country over the course of a few months. It was horrific back in the 90s. We met people that lost their whole families. And talking over dinner with some of them one time, we just simply asked, like, how did you become a Christian? 
And this one man begins to share with us, and he's involved in ministry there now in Rwanda. And he said, I wanted nothing to do with God. I was living my life for me. And he said when his whole family got wiped out because of genocide, he saw such great suffering. That's when he turned to God. That's when he decided that, that there has to be something better than this. And so he turned toward Jesus and gave his life over to Christ. Now, the irony is there are also many people in Rwanda that were following Christ, at least externally at that time. And they saw such great suffering, and they said, how can there be a good God in the midst of all this suffering? And so you see, it can go both ways. But God has a way of using a storm to get us to turn to him. And for this particular person we were talking to, he became a Christian because of the suffering. So just real quick, I want you to see how God can work through storms. I can think of storms in my own life that I can look back on. I can see what God was doing. I can see it now. I can see like, oh, this is why this college rejected me. This is why this relationship ended. This is why I can see it clearly now and sometimes. But there's also some things I can't see. Like, I, I can't, I still can't quite make sense of what our church just walked through. It doesn't make human sense to me. But I can look back and see some things and say, I can, I can see what God was doing now. But everything's not like that. Maybe you're thinking of things in your own life that you can think of and say, yeah, I can see why we had to move from here to here. It makes sense to me now. But there's also things that you can't see right now. And you don't know why you're in the storm that you're currently in. So I want you to think about something. Which thought, you might be questioning God right now and thinking the things you can't see at the moment, it doesn't make sense to you right now from your human perspective. But I want to give you a couple thoughts that relate to hope. Which thought is more hopeful for you as you think about God and who he is and his character? Which thought's more hopeful for you? That God would use suffering for our good or that God has no control and our sufferings are random and meaningless? Which thought brings you hope? I find the first thought more hopeful. But if you and I reject God because we can't make sense of that first thought, then you really have to embrace the second thought. And that's way more frightening to me. It's much more frightening to me to think that there is this, there's a God out there who doesn't care, isn't involved. That's a much more frightening prospect than that God can work through and does work through the storms that he sends our way. And so that's, God is always at work in the midst of that. That's true in the Jonah story. It's true in my story. It's true in your story. But it's also true in the gospel story. The cross, what looks like just suffering and defeat on the outside, is really how God gains the victory, right? His grace and mercy are most at work deep inside the storm that was the cross. And so um, I want you to discuss for a few moments just some questions that we have for you to kind of wrap up our time this morning. So go ahead and have your discussion.